Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I'm thrilled today to welcome Bill Boyer, founding shareholder of Boyer Miller, to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Gretchen. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Yeah. So Bill and I were having a conversation a few days ago, which was really the impetus for this podcast. And we were kind of talking about the impact that Conversant has in co-creating this ability to have timely, high-quality conversations within an organization. And Bill shared with me that um, he... His organization has been using these tools and this practice for, gosh, over two decades. And I, and I just became really curious about how that unfolded and the impact. So, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization and how this all started? So, sure, Gretchen. So, uh, Boyer Miller is a Houston-based law firm. We started the firm 30 years ago. It was actually the second firm that I was involved in starting. We've grown the firm over the last 30 years. Uh, but not into a big law law firm. We serve the middle market. We have 30 lawyers. We office in one building on one floor in one city. And uh, that's been our business model since day one. We serve private, primarily private companies uh, in a variety of industries. We like to say we're industry agnostic and we focus on providing five core competencies, uh, corporate, real estate, finance, litigation, and employment. And we've grown vertically since we started the firm, try to be super specialists in those general areas uh, and try to be the best we can be to serve the clients that we serve. And it's worked out pretty well so far, Gretchen. All right. So how did you first become exposed to Conversant and the Conversant tools around conversations? So little known fact is Mickey Conley and I, who's the founder and chairman of Conversant, went to college together. Uh, We met in two classes in our senior year. We were both English majors and became very fast friends. And after graduating, I went to law school and he went off into the restaurant business and then ultimately into the consulting business, but we stayed very close. Uh, I actually uh, enjoyed him as my first client uh, when I became a real lawyer working for a big law firm in Houston. And we've just worked together ever since. And when I started a Boyer Miller in 1990, uh, it had been on the heels of a firm that I'd started in 1980, and we started with three lawyers, and we grew it to 40 lawyers in two cities. So we built quite a brand and, a, and were highly respected. Um, but I left the firm because I felt like the firm had no soul and made some mistakes in some of the people that I hired um, and brought in as partners and gave up leadership uh, and control a little too quickly. So when I had the, the ultimate mulligan in, 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 your, in my professional life, which was to start over in 1990, one of the things that occurred to me was I was going to build something that 
that growing and making money uh, was an outcome, not a purpose. Mm. Uh, so, you know, having stayed close with Mickey as he was, you know, building his career and the pre- and the predecessor of Conversant, we talked a lot about how do you build organizations uh, in purpose, benefit from that uh, by growing and making money and doing the right things. So that's how it started. And the the way it really started, Gretchen, was, we, you know, we were in it for a year or so, and our young lawyers were trying to figure out when somebody said, we work for Boyer Miller, and people would say, what's that? And they didn't really know how to describe it. So I asked, I asked Mickey to come uh, spend some time with us early on, probably two years in, maybe. So that'd be 28 years ago. And we started our journey right there uh, with trying to identify the core values that we would um, that would best describe how we uh, choose to behave with one another and with our colleagues and our clients and our friends and our competitors. So uh, we started there and we identified in 1992 five core values to this day. Four of them have survived intact. One has been replaced, and that probably occurred 18, 19 years ago. And since then, we've just been very stable in building an organization around our mission and our values and, you know, having a really solid culture. And and one of the really critical pieces of that um, was our approach to communication and as you and I were talking last week, the tools that we learned from Conversant and from Mickey and the team, I found to be so simple and elegant and yet so profoundly effective um, that it has become central to how we deal with each other, uh, how we deal with our clients, how we deal with our, uh, our, our friends and colleagues in the industry and even uh, lawyers and parties on the other side of our our matters. So tell us a little bit more about that and how you know how you use those tools to impact conversation and in turn the culture and the values that you're living by. Could you give us an example of that? Yeah, so one of our uh, core values is our commitment to mutual respect, support and authentic communication. And authentic communication in the conversant body of knowledge is is a term of art. Uh, it is based essentially facts first, understanding your own perspective on those facts, your view of those facts, what your purposes and concerns are, what you're for and what you're against, and then stopping to consider the other person's purposes and concerns. What are they for and what are they against? And finding that intersection so that you can find common ground. Um, and, and we have used that model of authenticity, what, was, what we talk about as the intersection model, from the very beginning. And we, we really encourage and almost insist on conversations being fact-based. So we don't have a lot of tolerance for gossip. We don't have a lot of tolerance for ungrounded opinion. We certainly don't have any tolerance for withholding critical information or lying. So it's been really central to our 
our organization that we are transparent, uh, that we are accurate, uh, we share important information, uh, we don't distinguish. Uh, there's not a big hierarchy that certain people get to be exposed to important information and we withhold from others because it'd be contrary to our to our core value. Uh, so we we followed that sort of religiously, and you know we, we like to say that our core values in our organization are institutionalized, which means that basically anybody gets to call out anybody from the junior most person in the accounting department uh, all the way up to our chairman or to me or our other founder Gary Miller if they find us sort of operating outside of our of our values. That's so great. I mean, uh, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts with Edgar Schein, one of the most noted academics on culture. And he talks about, you know, the physical artifacts of your culture, the espoused values. That's what you say on your website you stand for. But then those are, there's those shared beliefs, that tacit, um, tacit assumptions that we have within our organization that are driven through interaction. So it sounds like you've just, you know, your your actions and, and as leaders, we know our actions speak louder than words, right? That your actions are continuing to reinforce this model and what the right thing is to do. So, you know, the one of the tools that um, Conversant developed early on is called the conversation meter, where it basically, uh, I guess on a scale of zero to 100, measures the value of human interaction and conversation. And what we like to say is, so if zero to 25 is the lowest form of conversation, which is called pretense, 25 to 50 is the, uh, the, next, the next quadrant, and that's sincerity, which is basically opinion first and fact second. So searching, searching for facts to support a view um, and disregarding facts that are contrary to a view. And we refer to the right side of the meter, which is the third quadrant is accuracy, which is facts first and opinion second, fact-based communication, grounding in reality versus opinion and fantasy. And the fourth quadrant is authenticity, which I described earlier as that intersection of the facts and my view and my perspective on your view. Um, which shows up as respect. And that meter is so simple and so elegant and yet so impactful that people really get it. And you know, you have all this fancy vocabulary to describe a lot of things in the world and try to get your organization to get it uh, is a very difficult thing. What we found after years and years and years of reinforcing consistently the conversation meter and the intersection model that throughout our organization, everybody gets that. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the sort of the highest form of human interaction is respect. Right. And when people feel respected, they feel valued. And when they feel valued and respected, they're productive. Yeah. It's so interesting, the intersection model, 
And it also starts with curiosity for the other person's point of view. And I was transported back to MBA school back in the early 90s, um, reading the book Getting to Yes, which is one of the greatest negotiation books ever. And there's a story they tell in that book that has always stuck with me about two chefs in a kitchen. And they're both cooking a recipe and there's one orange and they both reach for the orange and they're fighting over this orange and they compromise, which is where we go often and they cut the orange in half and they go off to do their recipes. And as they're looking at each other, they realize that one of the chefs needed the rind of the orange and one of the chefs needed the inside of the orange, but they didn't take the time to learn about points of view, right? The needs of each other. And that's what I think is so impactful about this organization, this listening to learn and um, this, this model listening to learn, being curious, and really deeply wanting to understand the others, other person's point of view, um, their context, cares, concerns, et cetera, I think is one of the most powerful things about it. Well, what I, I tell you what I've learned, it, it, first of all, as everybody who studies this or experiences this know, knows, it takes years to build culture. You know, Moses can't come off the mountain with the tablets and throw them down and say, this is the way we will be. And that's the way it is. And I would say my experience now is probably a minimum of 15 years of consistent reinforcement of pillars or guidelines or guideposts or values or whatever you want to call it. And that part doesn't matter. What matters is consistency. And only through that consistency can you get people to really um, embrace that this is this really is the way this organization is, and this is really is the way these leaders aspire to build this organization and lead it, and that's when you get beyond culture as a as a recruiting tool or cult, culture as as a as a as a marketing tool, and that you know we found that to be even more so the case as we've sort of lived through this uh, coronavirus pandemic crisis that we're all dealing with. And for me, our organization is stronger than ever. And I look back on why, and it all, to me, it all started in the room in 1992 where, you know, our first interaction with Mickey and conversant and, through the years, we've used the firm for to help us evolve strategically, learn how to tell our story uh, in multiple different ways. We've learned that there isn't a problem that comes up in our organization that we can't point to one of our core values to find a solution. I guess the most, really the most important thing for learning for us is from the very beginning is to live in purpose. And we've really learned how to live in purpose through the years, have that be the guiding sort of stroke for our leaders, our leadership and our decision-making. Uh, and you put all of that together and you can, you can have a believable organization with really good people. Yeah, that's so great. And, you know, it's so interesting because it's really applicable regardless of the size of the organization. I mean, we have organizations, we've worked with 10,000 employees on the conversation meter. 
um, regardless of industry. You know, um, I have a sister who's a retired judge who's an attorney, so I love my my attorney jokes. But um, you know, it, it really it transcends size, industry, geography, etc. What one question for you, Bill? How have you or have you had to deal? with a situation where you've brought someone on board thinking this person aligns with your values and they don't, how, how have you handled that? Uh, actually it's really simple. We got our partners in the room, uh, several years ago. This is probably going back 15 years and we were having a challenge with a young partner who, uh, was harassing, uh, young associates without getting into the details because they're not really that relevant. What's relevant is we got in the room, basically made a commitment that that if we are going to survive long term, be a multi generational firm, really be the place that we wanted it to be, we had to we had to be willing to stand for the following. If you can't live consistent with the culture of this firm and behave consistent with our values, you cannot work here. Regardless of your position in the firm, regardless of your productivity, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of how big a practice you you have, you cannot work here. And we all said that. And shortly thereafter, we fired one of our most productive partners. That reverberated through our organization. Um, and it was the sort of the turning point, you know, as Jim Collins said that, you know, making a tough decision slow is slowly is one of the you know most damaging things to an organization. And we learn to make those tough decisions quickly. We figure out pretty early on, Gretchen, if somebody gets it, uh, we give them, a, you know, we give them a couple of chances to, to, to get accustomed to how we are. And if it, if it's not going to work out, we just we cut our losses. Well, and Susan Stringer, I think it's her grid, the performance culture grid. And um, where people that are high performers, high culture, you know, that's easy. They're low performance, low culture. That's easy. It's the high performers, low culture that people seem to struggle with. And, in you know, I was sitting in the CEO's office, 10,000, probably 12,000 employees who'd been trying to change the culture of their organization. And I asked him this question. I said, who have you fired? And um, not that I'm the hatchet person, but there's going to be people that don't move with a culture change. And if you allow them to to continue to work in the organization, it sends a signal that, that you're not serious about um, what that culture is going to be. So kudos to you and your firm for making that decision. Those can be t- tough decisions to make. Oh, they're brutal. For, but at the end of the day, um, if you don't make those tough decisions, you're doing more damage than in for the long term than you could possibly do by trying to rehabilitate somebody and failing. So to our listeners out there, how do you get started? I mean, you've described... Um, how you got started, but do you have any tips for someone that's thinking, wow, I really, we need to more deeply indoctrinate, or we need, we need to be able to have these honest conversations that, as you said, are fact-based to be cognizant of our bias that we bring and the points of view we bring to conversations. 
Um, do you have any tips for how to get started or, or what to think about? Sure. Well, I think you and I have discussed this. I have done a lot of work in the community in the not-for-profit world and primarily in, in emerging organizations in social services. So I've worked in organizations that are involved in hunger relief and food banking and homeless services. And I'm now involved with a very large charter school system in Texas that um, educates kids who are in the lowest quartile of income in our state and our country. So in those organizations, when I've gotten gotten the opportunity, I always bring the leadership team together and start asking questions like, what has you get up in the morning and be excited to be part of this organization? And in doing that, you get really get to get to search for mission and purpose. Um, and you find themes and you get sort of get a, a stake in the ground for what has the organization um, attract talent and people who are like-minded. And then we go into a conversation about what are the behaviors that we hold dear and we want to be our sort of guiding principles and how we deal with each other and our clients and customers and donors and friends. And what are the, what are those behaviors? And I know you've done this a hundred times before with your clients, but to me, the start, that's the starting point. What has, what has you get up in the morning, excited to go be part of this organization? What's the purpose of this or, you know, to get to that. And then, what are those behaviors? And almost every time, somewhere in those conversations, in the domain of conversation, there comes the word trust. What people have a hard time articulating is how do you find trust? And what I've learned through the years, and a big help from, from conversant to team, is that trust is sourced in how people interact and communicate. And authentic communication is a source of trust. So that's how we get started. And just having had the background for all these years and the experience of building my own professional services organization, and I've been now been involved in building three different not-for-profit organizations, that's how you go. That's how you get started. That's that's so great. I I think back through, you know, K through twelve and my engineering degree and my MBA in finance and um, how little we focus on our ability to interact with other human beings, which is what makes the world go round. Right? Is yeah. our ability to effectively communicate with one another and um, have those fact based, authentic conversations, caring, respectful, curious, you know, listening to learn. So. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're incredibly busy um, taking the time today to share the experience of what decades of embedding those values into the culture of your organization has resulted in. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me, Gretchen. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.